Go ahead and open up in your copy of God's Word with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 4. Daniel, chapter 4. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see the end of, uh, of this relationship with, um, with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, with our relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, these stories of, of Nebuchadnezzar here. And, and, uh, and we're going to kind of come full circle. Before we look at Daniel 4, um, let's pray. Uh, you know, I just, I felt compelled to share something with you as well today. Um, you know, I've been here for just a little over a year and a half now. And, um, you know, people, they, they always ask, you know, how's it going? And we say, oh, it's great. And, and we love the people. And we drop microphones. Um, and, and the reality is, that's just, that's just so true. Um, we, we leave just about every Sunday, and, and Jennifer, uh, we get in the car, and she looks at me, and she says, I just love our people. You know, and, and it's just a joy. It's a joy to, uh, to be here. It's a joy to first and foremost be part of the flock at Trinity, uh, you guys care for us well. We, uh, we, have, we, we made an offer on a house this week, which is really exciting. It was accepted, and it feels very permanent for us, and we want to be here a long time. Um, but uh, Jennifer, yeah, I mean, the, the, the support of people who are like, hey, man, let us know when you're moving or whatever's going on. We'd love to help. And she sent me a text the other day that just said, you know, man, our people are really going to step up in this. And, and, and I could tell you stories of why that's such a, a big statement, but that's not a small thing for her to say. And, and, and you guys have just blessed her, you have blessed me, you have blessed us. And I feel like we're, we're at that, this part in our relationship where, um, you know, you spend time getting to know each other and getting to love each other, and now, like, we're there. And I just want you to know how much I love you and how much uh, I enjoy being here. So, Thank you. And, and I do. I mean it with all my heart. A uh, couple of things, just by way of reminder, we are starting to think about Easter. It's time to think about Easter. And we really uh, want Easter to be uh, a time where people can come and hear the gospel. And so we want to we help you take steps towards, um, towards inviting people to church. Inviting people to church is not the substance, the whole substance of our evangelism, but it's a great part. And we're going to kind of unfold this in three steps. And Pastor Thad mentioned those last week. And the first step is to pick and pray. Pick somebody that you'd like to invite to Easter services and begin praying for them. Uh, here shortly, we'll, we'll take step two, which is to reach out and relate. Just reach out to that person and ha- build some kind of relationship with them. Let's get coffee. Come over to my house for dinner. We're going to have a fire around the fire pit. Anything like that. Just spend time with that person in, in a relationship. Just being hospitable. Hospitality is a, a powerful tool given to us by God. And then lastly, it'll be invite and invest. Invite them to services and just invest time in them that morning. Be present with and for them. So those are coming up, but pick and pray. Just, uh, you could even, you should, remember there's a box out at the, the guest services desk that is names on cards that are just people we want to come to know Jesus that you can pray through and for, and we regularly pray through and for. So write their names on one of those cards, put it in the box, and we'll be praying 
for them as well. Second, um, I kind of made an announcement in our last dual language service that, that really was not um, uh, accurate. And that was, I talked about this opportunity that I have coming up that I'm really, really excited about, but, but the timing of it is going to be a little longer than I thought. So I have a friend in Tucson. He is, um, works with a ministry there called uh, Corazon Ministries. And they work amongst English and Spanish churches to bring unity to those churches. And I thought, what would happen if we brought him in here to help us understand one another better? And so I called Mike and I said, hey, do you have some dates that work? And he's like, yeah, I do. And so he's going to come and his, he and, and, and his wife, Claire, and one of his staff members, they're going to come on, uh, they're going to be here April 30th and May 1st. April 30th is a Saturday. And, um, and they're going to be here with us from 9 to 3, doing what Mike calls cross-cultural training. I've been through their cross-cultural training, and let me tell you, um, you, you should be there. Like, take your phone out now and put it on your calendar. Save that date. Protect that date. It will be worth your time. We talk about... Uh, being one church in two languages. And, and, and I said in, in that sermon that I think it's kind of an aspirational goal. That's not a fault. We should always be seeking to do that better. I think this would be a great step. So would you please with me uh, be here from nine to three. We will have childcare, we will have food, and it will be well worth your time. That being said, let's pray for uh, our time here and dive into Daniel chapter 4. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what you're doing here, that you are building us up as one church with two languages, uh, that you are not only in, in the eternal kingdom, but here, right here at Trinity, building uh, people from every tribe and nation and language and tongue. And Lord, we, we want that to be uh, an opportunity for there to, to, to just be a witness to the world, that we might show the world that the gospel is stronger than anything that might separate us, including language. That, that for those of us who, who know Christ and have been saved by Christ, that we have been joined in your kingdom and that that's where our allegiance lies and that we have peace and joy with one another. Lord, let us not take up the boundaries of culture, but Lord, smash those boundaries down inside the church by means of the gospel. Lord, we want to pray uh, for our missionaries who, who must remain anonymous, but Lord, we want, to, uh, we want to pray for them and for the ministry that they're doing. Lord, we want to give thanks to you for the many praises that they have shared with us that they have employees who, uh, who are growing in the word, that the written uh, gospel is, is being produced not only in terms of, of, uh, of, of translation work, but I believe in terms of materials as well. Lord, that there might be co-workers who are joining them uh, in, in the ministry and in the work there. Lord, and for the uh, preschool and kindergarten programs that are taking place uh, in the basement of their home and in this, this library, Lord, we pray that uh, you would use all of these opportunities and, and others to further the gospel. Lord, I pray as they think of coming home uh, or will be coming home on furlough soon, Lord, would you, um, would you just give them a, a peaceful security knowing that you are, are in control and, and in charge of all that happens there and that you can do ministry and you can use your word with or without them. 
and that you are, your word and your spirit are the essential parts of ministry. We never are. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help the, uh, the ministry and the gospel and the discipleship of, of uh, what few believers there are there to advance in this time. Lord, we pray for wisdom and, and, uh, and accuracy as they translate Hebrews, and we ask with them as well for other gospel opportunities. Lord, as we look now to, uh, to the book of Daniel and, and as we see this final uh, story here of Nebuchadnezzar, would you, um, would you show us how we are to live faithfully in the world for your glory, for the spread of the gospel, for the, the good of the lost and the good of the church. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. We have, I have titled this series, In the World. And what we see here in the book of Daniel is great examples of Daniel's faithfulness to how we live in a world that is contrary to what God calls us to do. I think the the question, though, that I want to highlight for us today and, and ask and hopefully answer strongly, or at least in some part, is how do we relate to the world around us? How do we relate to a culture that's changing fast, that despises godliness, that is is itself um, setting up values that are different than what God calls us to. I think I've seen traditionally in the church uh, a few typical responses. Uh, Here are four responses to seeing things in the world that are different than what God calls his people to uh, that I've seen in my lifetime. One is isolation. One is isolation. We draw into uh, the church community so heavily that we know no unbelievers, This might be particularly uh, easy and tempting for a pastor. So this might be my greatest problem here. To to spend my time, you know, I get up, I I come to church on Sunday morning, and then there's a prayer meeting Sunday night, and I go to growth group Monday night, and an elder meeting Tuesday night, and a WANA meeting Wednesday night, and I'm not making this stuff up, right? Like, this is my weekly schedule, where do I have time and opportunity to, to engage non-believers, to be in the world? I don't think we're called to be removed from the world, to be completely isolated from the world. I think maybe for many of us, this is driven by fear. I don't want my children to pick up those values. I don't, I don't want to be around those things that scare me or that seem different or, or are changing. And so, so we isolate inside the church, having nothing to do with the world. Another uh, response is that of judgmentalism. Uh, we see this in the Pharisees, right? I'm so glad I'm not like them. Th- thank God I'm different than they are. This is fueled by pride and legalism. Look at me, Lord. I'm so glad I'm not like those sinners. For some, the response is to just embrace it. Well, we don't want to be offensive, so we're just going to embrace the world's sinfulness. 
We're not going to speak out against it. We're not going to stand against it. We're just, we're just going to accept all things and all types and all people. And even that language completely breaks down. Is there any sinner so far from God that they can't be accepted by him in Christ? No, but God loves us so much to send his son to die for us that he might receive us to himself. And he loves us enough not to leave us there as well. So we can't embrace the world. We can't judge the world because really we're just like them. But by God's grace, we've been saved and are in process. We can't isolate. We also can't just lament what's going on in the world. Oh, remember what it used to be like? Remember the good old days? Remember when things were so much better? Remember when we were back in Egypt and sitting by the pots of meat and we were full? Remember how things used to be? All the while, I mean, people have been the same since Adam. We've all been enslaved to sin before Christ in some way or another. And so we can't just lament the way things used to be. So what do we do? truth of the matter is what we are called to do is to be in the world for the world. Now, you may have expected me to say in the world, but not of the world. And that's probably not a, an untrue statement. But, but I want to say today that as the church, we exist in this world. Why has God not just translated us to heaven and pulled us out of the world? Because he has left us in the world for the world. Uh, keep a finger there in Daniel chapter 4 and turn with me to John chapter 17. You guys probably get tired of me uh, quoting John chapter 17, but it's such an important passage to me as this is Jesus' prayer the night before he dies. And he says in verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 17, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from, from who? The evil one. I think functionally, we operate as though this often, as individual believers, I can certainly see this in my own life, we, we read this, we, we operate rather in the world as though John 15 read, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the world. But notice Jesus' prayer here is not that we would be kept from the world. He has left us in the world for the world. We gather for the church. This is clear in Ephesians. We gather as a church to proclaim the gospel, not primarily to the world, but to ourselves. And when they come in and listen and hear and are saved, we're grateful. But we come in to grow. We, we are in the church for the church on Sunday mornings. But then we leave and we go into the world for the world. And so we are called not to be a people who isolate ourselves from the world, but rather who by the word of God and the spirit of God and the strength of the church insulate ourselves from the world. 
insulate ourselves from the sin that, that is there. And if we don't do that, I think it's about impossible to live out what we see in Daniel. Because as we come to this fourth chapter of Daniel, there's a formula that's on repeat in these true stories of what happened during Daniel's exile here. And here's the formula. There is a call to compromise. Just just bow down before the statue. Just, Just eat this food so that the king doesn't kill you. Just don't pray for a few weeks. It'll be all right. There's a a call to compromise. And then there's a response of faithful obedience. There's a response of faithful obedience from Daniel and from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's not this obstinate, defiant, outspoken protest. There's just this faithful obedience. But, but it's public enough to be seen by the world. And then the result is conflict. Now, for most of us, this is probably where we go. I'm out. I don't want to have conflict with the world. I don't want my neighbors to reject me. I don't want my coworkers to ignore me. I don't want to offend somebody. I don't want to have conflict with the world. But in all of these, these uh, uh, stories, as we're, they're told to us, it is in the conflict that God displays his might. We'll eat only vegetables, and God gives them strength. We won't bow down to idols, and God gives them protection from the fire. I'm going to go in my room the same way as I have every other day and pray, and God gives protection from the lion's den. And it's, each, it's in each one of these in the conflict where God shows how mighty he is. And then the result is that people see the glory of God. It happened as Daniel interprets dreams. It happens as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, don't bow down to the idol. It happens before Daniel in in the lion's den. And notice it's, again, I want to highlight it is not their obstinate defiance that creates the conflict. It is their faithful obedience. One of the things that I pray regularly for us as a church comes right out of the book of 1st Timothy. First of all, then chapter 2, I exhort the petitions and prayers, requests and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is how we are to live, quiet, peaceful, tranquil, public lives in the world for the world. You cannot avoid the world, you cannot avoid being present in the world, and simultaneously put God on display for the world to see. If you're going to show the world and tell the world, it's got to be both, who Jesus is, you have to be in the world. With that understanding in mind, let's turn now to Daniel chapter 4. And we will see this, uh, this final um, interaction between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this first opening part here is in response to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And once again, 
though it appears that Nebuchadnezzar has figured out who God is, we find out that is short-lived. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue that inhabit all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how strong are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And now, because of what we saw before, we get this uh, and, and because of what is coming after, we get both this dream and display of, of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, from Nebuchadnezzar. So it's written from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, most of us want that life, don't we? And I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my head kept alarming me. So I gave a decree to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and I said the dream to them. Now this time he's actually sharing the dream. But they could not make its interpretation known to me. But at last, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, Bel, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I said the dream to him. Now, notice Nebuchadnezzar's beginning to break down already. Because he recognizes the spirit at work in Daniel as the holy gods. O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is difficult for you, say to me the visions of my dreams which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my head as I lay on my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky inhabited its branches, and all flesh fed itself from it. I was looking in the visions in my head as I lay on my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He called out loudly and said to me, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the earth, with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field. Notice the pronouns here. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart Be changed from that of a man, and let the heart of a beast be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This edict is by the resolution of the watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is the powerful ruler over the kingdom of mankind, and gives it to whom he wishes, and sets it up over the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I... King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, say to me its interpretation. 
Inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while, as his thoughts were alarming him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, if only the dream had applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. And now Daniel gives us the interpretation. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the fields inhabited, and in whose branches the birds of the sky dwelt, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your greatness has become even greater and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the ends of the earth." But in that the king saw a watcher, a holy one, descending from the heaven and saying, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the earth, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time passes over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the resolution of the Most High, which has reached my Lord the King, that you be driven away from mankind and your place of habitation be with the beasts of the field and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High is the powerful ruler over the kingdom and mankind and gives it to whomever he wishes. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to live outside like an animal, away from people. You're going to basically be crazy, lose your mind, live in the wilderness. The dew will be on you because you'll be sleeping outside for seven periods. This is seven years. This is a long time. Verse 26. And in that they said to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will endure for you. And you know that it is heaven that rules with power. Therefore, O king, may my advice seem good to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Verse 28, all this reached Nebuchadnezzar the king. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal house by the strength of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Those words should alarm us. My strength, my power, my glory, and my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is said, the kingdom has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your place of habitation will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High is the powerful ruler over the kingdom of mankind and gives it to whomever he wishes." 
Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was accomplished, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched in the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes towards heaven, and my knowledge returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar apparently came to his senses. And there are some who seem to think, I mean, there's a lot of debate as you read commentaries. Was Nebuchadnezzar genuinely worshipful this time? Like, will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven or not? And I don't know that I have an answer for that. I do know that I will simply say this. To this point in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar seems to get it until he doesn't. But the final word regarding Nebuchadnezzar, because we're going to see a completely different king in chapter 5 next week, the final word in Nebuchadnezzar is his admission of God's sovereignty and goodness. So if that is the final word in the book of Daniel, I'm simply content to let it be the final word concerning Nebuchadnezzar. But I don't really know, because the text doesn't tell us. Immediately it was accomplished until, and he went out from there, I mean, lost his mind, uh, lived like an animal, long nails like claws, hair like an eagle's feathers, uh, living outside, eating grass until his mind came back to him. And he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. I wonder, if if God did this to you, what would be your response at the end of it? Um, If you, uh, uh, Mark Lowry, you guys know who Mark Lowry is? He sang with uh, the, the Gaither group and he's kind of a comedian, he's a funny guy. He said one time, I heard him, it was, you know, like this kind of stand-up act. He's like, you know, your dog is probably more Christian than your spouse. He said, you want me to prove it? He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to lock your spouse and your dog in the trunk of the car. I want you to leave them there overnight. I want you to come out the next day and open the trunk and see which one of them is happy to see you. Here, Nebuchadnezzar's been locked in the trunk, crazy, out of his mind, in the wilderness for seven years. And when he comes to his senses, it is not to say, God, how dare you let my life be like that? How could you possibly be good? No, his response is to say, you are good. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven. Among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can strike his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my knowledge returned to me. And my majesty and my splendor, that is his rule in Babylon, were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my high officials and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my kingdom. And extraordinary greatness was added to me. And here is Nebuchadnezzar's final word. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven 
For all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Quite a story. Quite an account, both from Nebuchadnezzar and from Daniel. But returning to our original point, how how can we live faithfully in the world? Well, I want to suggest four things, and I don't think they're in any particular order. Number one, remember God's sovereignty. Remember God's sovereignty. Remember that, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And that his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Remember that God is not just trying to work out his plans, but he is the the sovereign God who declares the beginning from the end. He's the God who, who, who allows whatever comes to pass to come to pass. Romans chapter 13 verse 1 says, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. Why? There is no authority except from God. Even Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Absolutely. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist have been appointed by God. I don't know why God lets Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or Cyrus or Darius or Trump or Biden or whoever it may be that you like or don't like rule, but none of it is accidental. God never sits up in heaven after an election saying, hmm, I didn't see that outcome. What's next? He's sovereign over everything. And whatever whatever you see on the news, you can put your head on the pillow at night and say, God is in control. You don't have to isolate in fear because God is in control. You don't have to cast judgment because God is going to judge. You don't have to embrace what the world does because God is going to judge. You don't have to lament what's going on in the good old days because God was in control then and he is in control now. Remember God's sovereignty. Number two, and maybe one of the most amazing things to me in this is be compassionate. Be compassionate. Let me remind you of Daniel's story. He is a youth, probably 15 years old, he is, his nation is conquered, and he's hauled off to a foreign land. He is made a slave. He is made to learn a new education, a new language, new history, new set of rules, and he is put to work for the king. His buddies are thrown into a fiery furnace. He is made to stand before kings and say hard things. Now, if this was your story, how might you be tempted to feel towards Nebuchadnezzar? Would he be favorable to you? If China or Russia conquered America tomorrow and enslaved you, what would your attitude be towards their rulers? Look at Daniel's in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar shares this dream with Daniel. And Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as as his thoughts were alarming him. 
And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, do not let this dream or interpretation alarm you, thinking whatever's going on, Daniel's worried. Daniel, don't worry. I'm I'm in control of things. But the reality is, Daniel's not worried about himself. Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, that is Daniel, answered and said, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you. He is standing before this conquering, enslaving, brutal king. And when there's an interpretation of what God's going to do to this king, Daniel's first move is towards compassion. Is that your first move when you see the news? Or when your neighbor puts a sign in the yard? Is your your first move? Move when you see sin in others to go, oh, the judgment of God is coming upon you for that, and and I care deeply about the well-being of your soul. Or are you like, oh no, not my neighborhood, not my street, not my block, and not my TV. Daniel is moved towards compassion. Oh, oh, if only this dream and what it meant was, was for somebody else. And then, in verse 27, he pleads with the king. We'll come back to that. But he pleads with the king to to do righteousness for the sake, to repent, really, for the sake of prolonging his prosperity. Daniel is seeking Nebuchadnezzar's good. Not only when we look at the world do we have to understand that God is in control, but we must be moved by compassion for the fate of those who are not yet in this kingdom. And if our hearts aren't moved by compassion for them, well, then we need to do some heart work. Thirdly, be humble. Nebuchadnezzar calls in verse 37 uh, to, to be humble because God is able to humble those who walk in pride. Notice how much the language of Nebuchadnezzar changes. My kingdom, my glory, my majesty, my, my, my. Humility doesn't consist so much in thinking less of yourself as much as it simply consists of thinking of yourself less. I had a a good friend, a mentor in Tucson, who it didn't matter what was going on in my life, here was his line. You know, Logan, this really isn't about you. It's about God. Oh, you're frustrated with your wife. This isn't about you and Jennifer. She's frustrated with you. This isn't about you and Jennifer. It's about you and God. Things aren't going well at work. This isn't about you and work. This is about you and God. The culture doesn't seem to be doing the things I like. This isn't about you and culture. This is about you and God. Humility consists simply in thinking of ourselves less. And I would add to what Nebuchadnezzar says here that we should do the hard work of seeking to be humble and thinking of others and not considering ourselves because the reality is that God is able to humble those who walk in pride. And one of the things he shows us here is that humility comes best through humiliation. Fourthly, so we are to remember God's sovereignty, we are to be compassionate, we are to be humble, and fourthly, and maybe not most importantly, but maybe one that we need to step out and pursue the most, is we need to speak the truth in love. 
We need to speak the truth in love. Notice that Daniel doesn't hide anything. He never hides the interpretations from the king. He doesn't hide God's judgment. He doesn't hide Nebuchadnezzar's sin. He is perfectly willing to go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, this is what the dream means. This is what's coming. But I implore you to do something else for your own good. It's not enough. I mean, we almost use uh, the, the words of Francis of Assisi as an excuse not to share the gospel. Uh, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. The problem with that is that Francis' day was exactly the opposite. Everybody talked religious talk. They didn't live it. And so today he might call the church, however you define the church and however he defined the church, to preach the gospel at all times and using words is necessary. It's not just a matter of living like a nice person. The world is full of hell-bound nice people. We need to be godly, compassionate people who are also outspoken because God put Daniel in Babylon for Babylon and he's put us in Walla Walla for Walla Walla. We must remember his sovereignty and be compassionate and humble and speak the truth. When we, have, when we are humble, compassionate people, we speak the truth in love. Nebuchadnezzar's pride isolated him from people. Pride isolates. Compassion seeks out. Pride cares about my comfort. We don't see Daniel like, oh man, I don't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar this. I'm, I'm going to tone this down because, well, it'll end better for me that way. No, he's, uh, compassion leads him to care uh, about, uh, about Nebuchadnezzar's future and particularly eternal futures. Compassion leads us to selflessness, and pride leads us to selfishness. Compassion leads us to willingly serve others, where, like, where pride, like Nebuchadnezzar, demands that people serve us. Humble compassion leads us to think of others as more important than ourselves, whereas pride demands that people think of us. What if I lack compassion, though? What if I lack compassion? What if I lack boldness? Well, my charge to you, and really not mine, but Paul's, and really not Paul's, but God's, comes out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Turn there with me. And what I think we'll see is that Paul, as he sums up, as he gives us these words in first, or Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it's going to sum up everything we've seen in Daniel 4 today. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, these, these ifs are, are um, yes, they're, they're conditional, but they're more like since. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose. Do nothing. Let me reiterate that word. Do nothing from selfish ambition 
or vainglory. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. How, how, how do I do that, Logan? Nice command in Scripture. Thanks, God, but that doesn't come naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to any of us, I'm thinking. How do we, how do, we do that? We consider Christ. We consider Christ, who, and this blows my mind, because before we even get to this and read it and close in prayer, one of the things I struggle to grasp fully here is that the God of the universe, the Almighty, the sovereign ruler and maker of heaven and earth, is humble. He, he doesn't think lowly of himself, because he knows he's glorious. Go back to John 17. Father, I desire that they may be with me where I am to see the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. He knows he's glorious. He can't think of himself too highly. When when God imagines himself for all the greatness that he is, he's just thinking rightly about himself. What a different experience than you and I. It's simply that he thinks of us. And so when we, when we struggle to be humble, when we struggle to be compassionate, we consider Christ who left the glory of the palace of his heaven, who can stand up there and say, look at the glory of my might and of my majesty and of my kingdom and of my rule, and it would not be sinful because it would be true. That is the God who left his kingdom to become one of us to take on flesh, to suffer our sufferings, to get in the fire with us, to bear our burdens to Calvary. And as we sang today, it's not really the cross that is the most terrifying thing for him, but that the full measure of the wrath of our Father was poured out upon him at Calvary for you and I. Oh, this is so important. Because if the full measure was poured out at Calvary, there's none left over for you and me. So, verse 5. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God but he didn't grasp for that position when he was on earth. But, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we thank you that you did this for us, that you thought of us, that you came to where we are to participate with us, 
that you loved us enough not only to live with compassion and kindness and tenderness, but, but to speak the truth to us of our sinfulness, of your righteousness, and of your death and resurrection, which by simple faith, by simply trusting in what you have done for us, can forgive us of all our sins. Lord, give us such compassionate hearts as we... As we um, as we seek out to, to live this out in the world. Lord, you came, came into the world for the world. You lived among us for us. And you died at our hands for us. May we have such boldness to live in the world for the world. To live with kindness and compassion and humility. And, and to to seek out your glory by telling others what you have done. Lord, keep us humble, thinking of others, repentant of our pride and our selfishness and of our isolation. And Lord, as we consider you and what you have done for us, may we, may we be moved to worship. May we be moved to, uh, to worship you by singing, May we be moved to worship you by praying, by gathering for our good, but also by going out into the world and proclaiming your goodness. Lord, let us see that all of what we do proclaims the worth and worthiness of something. And so let our singing and our preaching and our praying and our gathering and our scattering and our evangelism and our compassion and the ways we live our lives in the world be all about your glory, be all acts of worship proclaiming that you are the glorious, good, sovereign God who humbly came to live among us and to rescue us and to save us. And we ask it all in your name. Amen.